You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Listener Questions Live on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have all of you with us. Happy Friday to you. As we get set for week four, the Jaguars coming to town to take on the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot to get to. We got a lot to, st- we got to a lot of stuff on Wednesday night, John. Uh, joined by my co host, John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We got to a lot of stuff on Wednesday night, previewing the game and whatnot, but a lot of questions on fans' minds. And that's what today's about, my friend. Yeah, a lot of developments between Wednesday mm-hmm. night and here on Friday afternoon. I'm sure we're going to get to some, but let's go ahead and kick this thing off. Yeah, do you want to real quickly? Do you want to catch up, catch us up on some of this stuff? I know there's some injury stuff with, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball, as of fr- early Friday afternoon. Yeah, so I'm just going to go through the old Twitter timeline here and try to catch you guys up as best as possible. Right now, we have as of 20 minutes ago, Geno Atkins is, is not expected to play. I think he was limited throughout practice this week, but only doing the individual drills. So didn't progress enough to the point where he was practicing with the team. No Devin K. I don't think Gino is pulling an AJ off the, off the Facebook chat. Um, we also have Logan Wilson is doubtful with a concussion. He didn't practice all week. Mackenzie Alexander is also doubtful with a ribs and hamstring injury. He practiced on Thursday, but I think he missed Friday's practice. So uh, we got some definite inactives ahead for Sunday and one of them is in fact Geno Atkins that's not a good sign for the Cincinnati Bengals you mentioned Logan Wilson um, an interesting one here too John the uh, I you saw that I shared Jay Morrison's Twitter account here um, and once again we we may have a little bit of musical chairs at the offensive line here, um, that's not the one. It would be this one right here. Well, at, at any rate, I'll share it in, in just a <laughs> minute. But uh, it is the right guard situation. The Cincinnati Bengals may be starting old friend or maybe getting time for old friend Alex Redmond. There was some talk from Ben Baby of ESPN yesterday saying that, uh, you know, Jim Turner was working with him specifically before practice. And now you've got uh, a little bit of some vague things with the uh, right guard, the right guard situation. So, um, you know, I I don't know what you make of that. It's it's vague without being vague because Taylor said in his press conference that he expects Alex Redmond to be elevated from the practice squad for this week. And all indications say that he's probably going to get the starting nod. If he's going to play the entire game, probably not based off the last three weeks when they've been rotating cards in and out. But yeah, I think Redmond's going to get his chance this week. 
Well, that's that. Uh, so far, again, injuries and other other pieces of news are on uh, on the front burner here for the Cincinnati Bengals. They, on some hands, feel like they're well prepared, but on others, you know, the injury bug continues to bite them. And we don't. It, it looks like it'll be the fourth straight game. Geno Atkins missing potentially the entire month of September and even a little bit into October. Uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's start getting to these questions. You can submit your questions. We wanted to update you on some recent news. So in case you wanted to ask some questions on health and all that kind of stuff, we got you updated so you can maybe alter your questions you're going to submit to us. Um, you can call or text 949 We've got three live comment threads going, one in YouTube, one in the Facebook chat, and on cincyjungle.com. There is a post there. So um, we'll be monitoring that. You can email us, the OB Insider at gmail.com. And then, of course, we've got the Twitter account um, at BankOBI. So, uh, John, let's kick it off with good friend Dan from Tennessee. He texted us, I think it's time for Joe Burrow to call the plays. I know he's a rookie, but he has the ability to do so. Right now, Zach's play calling is more vanilla than a cone in Baskin Robbins. Have a great weekend. I. My understanding is that he is calling out quite a few of the uh, protections, et cetera, at the line, but correct me if I'm wrong on that. Does, does, does any quarterback call plays? Like, 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 honestly, like I, I don't, I'm not sure if there's even one quarterback in the NFL that actually calls plays and the offense coordinator, the head coach doesn't do anything. Like, I know it's frustrating because Taylor hasn't produced any results in now one in one fourth of a year. Uh, but those those duties would be delegated to Brian Callahan way before they would go to Joe Burrow. So I'm not sure if that's even a realistic option. He, like you said, he makes adjustments at the line. He has free will to do whatever he wants and um, do all the stuff depending on what he sees with coverages and defensive fronts. But I don't think you're ever going to see Joe Burrow call his own plays. Correct. I don't. I don't believe that's the case. And like like I said, I think you know there's maybe some freedom to audible and maybe some freedom to you know. Um, call out the protections and different things at the line, but I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's going to be Joe Burrow as a rookie is not going to be also offensive coordinator slash <laughs> passing game coordinator. Um, I don't, I don't see that happening. Where are we going next, John? Uh, we got some more questions about uh, the coaching staff in general. Um, we, where, where was this one? I swear. Oh yeah. Text from five, one, three. Why essentially, why doesn't Zach Taylor call more screens? If pass protection is such a problem, Use the aggression of the pass rushes to his advantage. Um, they they not they're not good at screens. I don't know if you have watched their screen game this year, but they are absolutely terrible getting out to the second level and taking care of those linebackers and cornerbacks to create even any space for the screen. So, in theory, yeah, the screen would you know naturally slow down the pass rush or negate it to a, to an extent where you can do some more do some more things with in like a traditional dropback passing game if the screen can take away those pass rushers but if you don't run them effectively there's no value of doing it anyway so i'm not and until they actually have a, a solid screen game it's not a part of the offense that should be heavily utilized yeah unfortunately they don't have the offensive line personnel whose respective strengths are really getting up to the second level and you know making the necessary blocks upfield, and you know and, and just in general, screens are kind of a slow developing play, and screens also kind of at times leave a cornerback a, a quarterback a little vulnerable because guy offensive line pieces are moving. So Joe Burrow's getting hit as it is, and I mean it's just something that's not really working. There are ways they can tweak things. There are ways that they can make this 
a successful type of situation where they run some screens. But I would like to see John more of kind of what they did last week with Gio Bernard, that little quick slant where he was able to to kind of work. I think it was in the slot. That uh, was their best screen like right. of all time. And, and it was it was just him leaking out of the backfield, like slipping out there, and you had both the right guard and right tackle scream up to the second level. Like that was that was well called. That was well executed on, on that situation. But for the most part, those wide receiver screens and those like traditional halfback screens where it goes to the flats, yeah, those have been not very good. Yeah, what about what about a tight end spin? in years past with I they used to run those to moderate success? Is that something you think that they could do with, with Drew Sample and be successful? I mean, potentially, but again, it's all a matter of how well the blocking gets out there in space effectively. Not just get out there in space, but taking good angles to those defenders, just clearing them out to, to get space. Because right now, you have guys being met with defenders at the catch point screens, and it's just basically a wasted play. Yeah. Let's go to an email from Russ. What's your opinion on the value the Bengals are getting out of the investments in this year's free agent class? Any of them paying off in the first three games on the field? Well... So far, nothing from Trey Waynes because he's been hurt and he's on IR. Probably will come back, I would think, midway through the through the year. Um, DJ Reader has been in there. I think he's been, um, you know, even though the, the defensive stats won't show it, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd say he's been exceptional, but I think he's been pretty good. And you can tell the difference when he's in there and when he's not. He had the tip ball last week that caused an interception. Um, when he went out in week one, that's kind of when the Chargers started making more of the chunk plays in the run game. And he's played a lot of snaps, uh, hasn't had the impact play, got got after the passer. Really, the biggest play really is that tip that was an interception last week, John. But, I mean, you look at Mackenzie Alexander, decent. Um, Xavier Suofilo, hurt. So you're, I don't know, what other additional thoughts do you have on this crop of free agents that really was the most exciting outside free agent class they've brought in in a really long time? I think DJ Reader's been solid. Von Bell's also been solid, but none of them are making – necessarily impact plays even though they might not be the guys to make those type of plays but how about the two you know under the radar signings that they signed for this one-year deals LaShawn Sims has played like eight snaps he already has an interception great play against the Eagles when he came in yeah. for a hurt Darius Phillips and Mike Thomas who has emerged as a top three or four receiver in this receiving core I think he leads the team in yards per hour run uh, he did lead the team after two weeks I think Tyler Boyd's probably overtaking him now but and when, when Thomas has been called upon, he's been pretty productive, and I think he's developed a solid rapport for Burrow. So the two the two signings that I think no one really thought would make that much of an impact, they might be the best signings so far in this free agency class. Yeah, it's kind of the the lesser name guys, right? That are that mm-hmm. are kind of making the play so far, and unfortunately, injuries have kind of played part of that. You also throw in Mike Daniels, a guy that hasn't really shown up on the stat sheet, but um, I guess if you're a coach looking at it, you kind of you forced the guy into a role that you didn't really envision. You kind of thought he would be a rotational player, keep guys fresh. And unfortunately, because of the Atkins situation, he's had to be a starter. And, you know, at this point in his career and him coming off of an injury last year and all of that, it's just, it's not the ideal fit or situation in terms of him taking an immense amount of snaps right away. Um, But I think you got to at least kind of tip your cap to him a little bit saying, hey, you know, you came in here and you're doing pretty much everything that the coaches are asking of you and more. Um, And and it's just not the situation everybody had envisioned uh, for Mike Daniels. So, um, you know, I I think you got to tip your cap a little bit to him there, even though, again, the impact plays aren't there. Where do you want to go next, John? Uh, let's go to the Facebook comment section for Devin K again. What's your guys' thoughts on the coaches saying Joe needs, no, Joe needs to protect himself? 
Joe needs to protect himself. Well, look, Joe Burrow is a creator, and that's one of his biggest strengths as a quarterback. And sometimes all of these guys, whether it's Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, whoever, they move around in the pocket. They'll they'll take some risks, and they'll try and create a play. And that's one of the biggest attributes that is an improvement of Joe Burrow from Andy Dalton. Right, John? I mean, it's the ad-lib stuff. It's, it's the ability to go in there and, um, you know, create something when plays break down. And sometimes he'll run into a hit. Sometimes he will run into a sack. And, you know, I think sometimes you take that uh, with all of the good that comes with that. Overall, though, that's not the biggest problem to me. It's the overall protection of him. He's getting hit and pressured on, I said this on our Wednesday show, almost 11% of all of He's getting sacked on 11% of all of his dropbacks, um, pressured much higher than that. So uh, to me, him running into sacks or him running into hits, um, while that is something to, to monitor, I don't think that's the biggest problem at all. A tweet just popped up on my timeline from Pro Football Focus. Joe Burrow has been under pressure 51 times in under 2.5 seconds, which is five more than any other quarterback. And I think that's why the coaches are putting emphasis on him because he's going to take these hits regardless of what he does when he's operating under structure and getting the ball out quickly and doing whatever he does outside of the pocket. Like he's going to get hit regardless because that's just how bad the offensive line is. So I think the coaches want him to minimize the extra hits that he may take when he's trying to create something out of nothing, because that's even more you know damage to his body just three or four weeks into the season. So it would be nice if, we, if we could have those extended plays and maybe he takes a couple of those hits, but when he's taking so many hits in general, I think the, the coaches are just emphasizing that we just want you to minimize them as much as you can, because unfortunately this offense line is not very good right now. So John, we've got a call on the line here. Uh, who do we have here? This is the orange and black insider listener questions live. Who's this? How you doing? It's the real. What's going on Terrell? Hey, like you, like you even had to ask. <laughs> did you ever get our uh did you ever get our care package there the little gift we sent you I, I will, yeah, yeah i appreciate it though too i got a, i got a lot of my favorite playmakers uh in there too okay good good what's on your mind this week buddy uh, uh i i just i just uh want to say uh uh the, the defense is is getting there we got a really young team at the end of the day we got a really young team and i've been listening to you uh i i, I get what you're saying anthony uh i understand is he, uh, uh, Zach is a young coach and he's getting his experience right now, but, but that record looking crazy right now. His, his record looking crazy, you know, and I'm giving him to next year to at least try to go for the AFC North. But, uh, if he can't make it, I want, I want Joe Brady or Urban Meyer. I'm, 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 I'm jumping ahead of myself. I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'm just saying, and I want, uh, uh, a, 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 a kid. Uh, uh, King David Gates, Elder Wilson, and Pat Star, and then try to move pieces to uh, John Ross or somebody, and then we, I think we, I think we'll be all right. But I definitely think, uh, before we got everything, uh, the future bright. Well, we'll we'll take uh, some of your comments and questions off the air here. Thanks for thanks for calling in as always, Terrell. We'll uh, we'll. We'll answer I was gonna, some. I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say real quick. Yep. Uh, that that backup quarterback is a question too. The backup quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Well. Next year. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, right. We're talking about Ryan Finley. Yeah. That's um. 
Finley played three games last year. So, yeah, and to mixed results. Thanks, Terrell. We'll, we'll talk to you soon, my friend. No problem. Y'all are great. All right, you too. Uh, so one of his, he's got a couple of points that I want to talk about. One of which actually plays into another question that we received through Twitter. So we'll get to that in a second, John, but I guess there's kind of an overarching question and it feeds into a lot of other questions we've received here, but it's a little bit of how long of a leash do you give Zach Taylor? And I think, especially with the major roster turnover this year, I think you give him all of 2020. I don't think that's a question maybe even the majority, if not all of his staff. But I think if 21 starts off a winless first three weeks, first month, that's going to get ugly. Yeah, it will. Um, We don't really have a great precedent because, I mean, the stuff that happened in the first 10 years or so under Mike Brown, like they were just going through coaches left and right, nothing was working. Then he found some form of consistency with Marvin Lewis, and then he held on to him, even though the mediocrity was taking over actual success, and they weren't progressed anywhere. So now we're back to square one, where we have a young coach who's still finding his way, but at at, at some point, like it has to has to produce results. And if you don't in the first two or three years, and you invest all this money in free agency, you give him the power to hire all these new guys, and you entrust that he puts in the right system and culture and it still doesn't work. Like you have to try again. You have to hit the reset button. And you know, it again, this year is all has always been about growth. It's always been about progressing off of what you built on this off season and, and getting in your own guys into the system. If we don't see that towards the later part of this year and definitely into the next part of, of 2021, like you're in a situation where it's the jets, like it's only a matter of time before this head coach is, is out of there because it just simply didn't work out. Mike Brown has gone on record in when I think this was primarily when he was defending Marvin Lewis and some of those awkward situations and some of those years where a lot of fans were saying, hey, you know, it's time to move on. Mike Brown's gone on record talking about how he wants to have continuity um, in the form of the dealers. So, you know, I think that's what he's trying to build. Who knows if that's going to be the case? Where do you want to go next, John? Um, yeah. So how about you take that phone call and and I'll just, uh, I I think I'll address Jamie Lopez in the Facebook comment section. Do you see a trade for an offensive lineman before the trade deadline? No, because that's not really what they do. Even in desperate times, like they've had plenty of situations where a trade of their own players for draft capital or trading for someone to help out their team has been an optimal route to take. And they just didn't do it because they just don't like to do that. You know, they don't like to sacrifice uh, future draft assets first an immediate fix they always think ahead about and, and overvalue some of those type of things um even how bad the offensive line is i don't think they're going to do anything proactive about it i think them bringing back alex redmond and, tr- and throwing him out there is as proactive as you're going to see from from this side right now so let's get to the phone call uh that we received here it's um aaron from natty on the line aaron are you there yeah, I'm here. And how you guys doing today? Good. for calling in, man. What's on your mind? Good, dear, dear. Well, uh, first of all, I want to thank you all very much for doing this. You guys are fantastic. Weekly watch all the time. Oh, thank you. Can't man. always catch you live, but I watch it somehow. I appreciate it. Um, thank you. <laughs> no problem. Second of all, um, I wanted to talk a bit more. It's, it's funny. My initial question kind of got semi-asked or talked about in the last one with the Zach Taylor thing. Just a little bit on that. Um, I, I have, I had, I've never had any real doubt in Zach Taylor until just recently with the 
with how he's handling the defense of the whole Jim Turner thing, hmm. uh, it, it, it's kind of making me more concerned that he'll let his like I, I, I used to think that he was actually somebody who holds somebody accountable with the whole benching Andy Dalton type deal, like things that we thought needed to be like you, your performance dictates your play and all that stuff. But um, and results dictate you know if you keep, if you stick around. But I'm not sure about that with you know how he's talking about this offensive line and specifically Jim Turner, uh, who has to my knowledge and everything I've seen, zero reason why should get such a long leash. Like he hasn't had the same amount of success anyway in his career as far as I know. So uh, that's the only thing that has me worried about too. And that's the first time I ever felt like, yo, this guy will put something before team success. You know, it seems like he'll put this yeah. loyalty to Jim, Taylor, Jim Turner before team success. Yeah. But I'll go for it. So, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, but um, but since that's like kind of only have what I'm talking about, I wanted to talk more about uh, it's a certain narrative that I'm hearing about ruining Joe Burrow, hmm. and I don't feel like many people have touched on this. Um, with Joe Burrow's mindset, it's very similar. I just watched the last game documentary not too long ago, so it's fresh in my mind. And, and when I first when I saw it the first year Jordan played, he got injured or whatever, and like everybody's like, oh, you got to sit him because you're going to ruin him. But my thing is, you don't ruin a player like Joe Burrow with that mentality physically so much as you will mentally. When you concede loss to somebody who never has conceded loss, has that mentality that's so fierce and so driven towards victory that they're willing to put their body on the line and all that stuff. I, I, like, I think the way you lose Joe Burrow more so than physically is mentally because all of his game, we always talk about it. It's all mental. It's all in his head. So when you start when he loses confidence that you are doing everything that you can to win, just like he's doing everything that he can to win, that's how I think you lose Joe Burrow. So if people start, you know, if, if, if coaches are starting to try to coach him out of, you know, extending that play and things like that, and he loses faith in the organization, and that's, that's, that's I think, how you ruin Joe Burrow, really. Like, because I, I feel like he's the kind of guy, if it, 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 if if my career is 15 years and I don't win anything, then why do I even have a career? You know, it's that type of mindset. You know, yeah. he, I think he's the type of guy where I to go five years and win uh, or, and compete for a Super Bowl every single time. And then that be his career versus 15 years of mediocrity. Yep. And that's what well, I think this city needs. Good, good points. We're going to talk about some of those off the air, uh, both the – um, the character aspect with Zach Taylor that you mentioned, and then, of course, what you mentioned with Joe Burrow. Two very good points and very good questions. Appreciate you calling in, Aaron. Don't be a stranger. No problem. Thank you all very much once again. Thanks, bud. Uh, so the, to, to the first point, John, there's, there's a large uh, – talking about Zach Taylor, Jim Turner, character, all that kind of stuff. We've, I feel like we've talked about this a lot, but it still bears repeating, especially with some of the stuff that Jim Turner has come out with week and defensive body hard, all this kind of stuff. Zach Taylor has reached character, locker room culture, all of that into a lo- large picture. He has done so. I mean, I I don't think Va- Vontez Burfecht was a bad guy off the field, but he was crippling the team on the field with his penalties and injuries and all that kind of stuff. He shed that. He stayed away from from some character guys in the draft, that sort of thing. But then, on the, Jim Turner has a history. Um, I'm all for giving people second chances. I'm not in in the business of getting rid of guys that you know calling for people getting fired. But 
There is a track record with Jim Turner there. And of course, we've seen some things from Bobby Hart this offseason that make you question some things as well. So there's just a little inconsistency. And I think that's the first part of what Aaron was talking about. There is a reason why nepotism is generally frowned upon in business practices, because you can preach accountability and character and discipline all you want. But at the end of the day, there is no human on the face of the earth that isn't going to treat his family with a little bit more leniency. Jim Jim Turner is family of Zach Taylor. Jim Turner's wife is a is no, he is a cousin of Mike Sherman, who is Zach Taylor's father-in-law. They are they are family, and that's the reason why, despite Jim Turner's rap sheet about everything that made him not only a bad coach but a bad person from the public perception, Zach Taylor hired him. He backed him, and ever since then, despite the badness that he's put on the Bengals' offensive line and just the team in general. He stuck by him. He stood by him because he is family. And there is always going to be that soft spot towards family. And that's why, you know, you don't really want nepotism in, in your organization because it can lead to in, incompetence in, in ways where some accountability would be welcome. Well, you put the blinders on, right? I mean, exactly. you, 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 put, you put the blinders on to some of the, the problems and issues and all of that uh, because you're able to overlook somebody because they are family, they are a close friend, that sort of thing. And unfortunately... A lot of times that can work because, you know, there's a meshing of culture and, and mindsets and all of that. But like you said, in, in a lot of ways, there's a, a turn a blind eye to some of these things and some issues that uh, a lot of people with an outside perspective bring. Um, to the second point that Aaron brought up, quote unquote, ruining Joe Burrow, either physically or mentally. Here's my thing on it. Obviously, when you start going down that rabbit hole and the route that Aaron was just talking about, you immediately start to think about Carson Palmer, right? Where he he quit, he decided to not play football anymore because number one, it wasn't fun to play in Cincinnati for, you know, and we can speculate on the reasons for that. Um, but essentially he grew frustrated and he's come out and said this, particularly this offseason when the Bengals are drafting Joe Burrow, he grew frustrated in the fact that he didn't feel the organization was all in on winning providing him the pieces needed, et cetera. Um, I feel that this there there was talk this offseason when the Bengals met with Joe Burrow that there were they were kind of laying out the plan, right? I mean, that was kind of some of their pre-draft visits. This is we're going to draft you, and this is the plan. We're going to be active in free agency. We brought in these guys, blah, 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 blah. Um, now here we are three games in. He's, you know, one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league, one of the most pressured quarterbacks in the league. My my thing with that, John, is I begin to worry not only, of course, when there's if and when there's a physical injury, but when you start seeing Joe Burrow develop bad habits that you didn't see at LSU, when his eyes aren't moving upfield when he's avoiding pressure, when his head is down. The some of the things we saw from Andy Dalton, especially late in his career, right? Um, though that's when I start to become concerned in terms of quote unquote ruining Joe Burrow. That's a good point. I think, yeah, I think the 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 sacks can take a hold. Can, can can take a toll, excuse me, on any quarterback. It doesn't matter if you're Joe Burrow or David Carr. It, it'll come to you if you get hit and sacked enough. Like those demons will pop up even if they aren't there. We saw we saw it with Baker Mayfield a little bit uh, last year in the early, in the early portion of this season before he ran train on the Bengals. But I think you're right. Like I I think with with Palmer it was more of he 
understood that there was a lack of aggression in terms of the Bengals becoming a better team in other methods like spending in free agency. And I think the Bengals took a big step forward with that this offseason by investing a lot of money in outside free agents to better the team immediately. I think that was a message they were trying to send to Joe Burrow, like, hey, we're, we're, we're progressing. We're learning lessons from our mistakes from the last time we had a first overall quarterback. So I think Burrow has gotten the message early on that there is a, a greater sense of aggression and going back to Turner, it was an interesting point brought up by, I think, the Lockdown Boys with, with Jake and, and uh, James that they found out that Ben Martin was on the mm-hmm. field, the, the assistant offense line coach, and Jim Turner was up in the press box handling his duties up there. And I, I think that, yeah, I think that was the first time that, that, they've, that they've done that. So it's, it's not enough for me to say that Turner is, is being pushed out the, out of the door, but I think they're willing to try new things without changing up everything and firing people and trying to get some quick turnover with the staff. So they are at least doing some things and they're, they're acting with a little bit more aggression than they have in years past. And I think that bodes well for, for Burrow and the communication with the, with the organization as a whole, like, you know, if this isn't working, we need to do some, we need to do other things, but at the same time, it's also about putting together a good team at the end of the day. And if they don't with Burrow, then those questions can start popping up in a couple of years down the road. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Great phone call from Aaron. Appreciate the compliments that he paid us and the insight that he gave us. Gave us a lot to talk about. We're going to be here for a few more minutes fielding some of your questions. You can leave them in one of three live comment threads on cincyjungle.com on our YouTube channel or the Cincy Jungle Facebook page. We'll be fielding those. Um, We'll be taking more calls and texts, 949-542-6241. And then, of course, at Bengals OBI on Twitter, the OB Insider at gmail.com via email. John, uh, where are you seeing we should go next? Uh, let's go to Jerry Lowell, I think, in the Facebook comment section. Do you think the lack of OTA and no preseason has any bearing at all on the lack of cohesiveness and the inability to push it through to a win since this is a pretty much new team together with rookies for agency and those coming back after injury? Chicken or the egg, right? I mean, it's, it, is it, is it the lack of two preseasons? Uh, you know, we know 2019, it took forever for Zach Taylor to get to Cincinnati, be announced as the hire, assemble his and and when we don't even know how far down the pecking order some of these coaching hires were for him because when he came to Cincinnati late, a lot of great candidates were, were hired throughout before he was even announced, right? I mean, so we don't know how far down the pecking order he had to go on his wish list for other coaches. So you can point to that offseason, you can point to this unique offseason, and I, I think you can call them excuses, but I do think they are reasons for some of the issues that we've been seeing over the past two seasons. I don't think you can deny that. But again, when you're setting records for these one score games, John, and not being able to win those 14 losses and one tie and one score games in a row, that you at some point got to point the finger at the coaching staff on that front. And in, I, I think it's fair for a team that's, that has a lot of roster turnover that these questions are popping up, at least early on in the season with no preseason, they're still gelling together. 
but it's not an excuse that's like limited to them. Like every team had the same offseason schedule. Every team was virtual up until July, and every team had the opportunity to just mesh really quickly in just the one month that they've been together. But some teams, you know, had still a, a core that was maintained together and didn't bring in as many new faces and you know had a rookie quarterback to go under. So there is a little bit of leniency, but at the end of the day, there's a reason why some teams are three and zero and some teams are zero and two and one. Like the talent and the, and the coaching combined, like that's that's what's going to push through to win games right now we've known that, that they had talent deficiencies at important areas. And we know that they had questions with the coaching staff that still need to be answered. And right now, neither, neither one of those units is, is performing to uh, up to, up to their potential. And then we also had some questions about like, like the defense, like are they being yeah. too vanilla or are they not just gelling together in, in general? I don't think the defense has been that vanilla. I think they've, they've shown that they're multiple and, and they're disguising coverages pre-snap, but right now it's mostly about execution. I think that can go for the offense as well. I don't think it, the play calling on either side of the wall has been as bland as the perception as it is. And when the execution is not there and you're wondering if these guys are talented, why aren't they producing results? It immediately goes to the coaching without even thinking twice about it. But when you look, take a closer look at it, it's mainly been on the, the execution. And maybe that goes into the fact that they haven't had that much time to gel together because the defense has so many new starters. But it, it's more of a mix of, of both problems than just putting it all on the coaching. Yeah, and look, personnel-wise for the defense, we've said a, a bunch of times a lot, the success of this defense, and this has been the case throughout almost all of his career, goes through Geno Atkins. And when you don't have Geno Atkins for a month, that you're going to notice a difference there. The Bengals are, at least they were going into last week, a top 10 team against the pass. Um, so they're they're defending the pass relatively well, and William Jackson's having a pretty good season with that you know, a couple pass interference penalties in the past two weeks, notwithstanding. But I mean, overall, he's having a pretty good season. Um, Phillips up and down, but I think, you know, really getting his first crack at starting, he's doing okay. Um, Jesse Bates had the outstanding week one, the really poor week two, um, kind of had an okay week three. So, you know, he's playing okay. Sean Williams is, is coming back. He didn't play a defensive snap last week, which was interesting, but he's coming back from injury. Um, so, you know, I think they're doing some things okay, but the Geno Atkins absence is is very noticeable. And on one hand, I understand that you want to plan around having him because he has been such a durable warrior. But on the other hand, you have to be able to still be a capable unit without a, a star player in there. That's just the reality. Yeah. So where do you want, where do you want to go next? Uh, we'll take a couple more. Before we get on out of here, because we're going a little long, uh, this was this was an interesting one, and I th we didn't get to this because another call came in. I think it played to part of uh, Terrell's second part of his phone call. It's a it's a tweet from Jackson Ford with a lot of players underperforming this year, like AJ Ross and Price. Do you think we will see even more roster turnover next season? Maybe not to the extent of linebacker, which, by the way, I think the Bengals brought in five or six new guys at linebacker this offseason alone. But I do anticipate some higher profile names not coming back this year. And Terrell kind of touched on that same point. So there, there are a couple things. Number one, do you expect a an, another huge roster turnover this year uh, going in 21. And then does that, if you do, does that again prompt another growing pain type of year when you do that to a roster two, three years in a row? I don't know if it's going to be as dramatic as this past one was. I mean, you can bet the farm that neither John Ross or Billy Price are coming back. And that's two first round picks to end the Marvin Lewis era that completely have derailed their progress up to this point. Um, 
like they're gonna have decisions with Gino and Carlos, but I think like the defense line is just not ready for both those guys to both of those guys to leave, even for the sake of saving like fourteen million dollars in total of cap space, and unless they like comp compensate them compensate that loss with two defensive starters i'm not sure that either of those guys are going to go there's some other decisions that 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 they have to make and i think for the most part like their free agency class most of those guys are probably just going to be testing the market and seeing if they get any compensatory picks back with maybe the exception of like william jackson carl Lawson, who have been playing like they they deserve second deals so i don't know if it's going to be as extreme where you're seeing a lot of veterans cut aside from ross and price specifically but yeah, there's 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 always going to be turnover, especially when you're when you're entering year two or three of a new coaching staff, and you're just liquidating the old coaches, uh, players, and guys that, that 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 they drafted. But to the extent of this past year, I'm not sure it's going to be like that. I agree, and part of the thing that makes another roster turnover or losing these three players that are mentioned, AJ Ross and Price, a bit easier if they do end up not keeping any of them. They haven't had them much over the past couple of years anyways, be it injury, ineffective play, what have you. So even if they don't have them, what's what's really truly the impact? I mean, if you're looking back to 2016, 2015 with A.J. Green, sure. But 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, A.J., Price, Ross have largely either been or ineffective when they've been in there. So, I mean, even if you're talking roster turnover with those three, is that a big difference? I don't know. Uh, do you see one maybe in the in the Cincy Jungle chat? We haven't gotten gotten to one there yet. Any, uh, on the post there, did you see anything there that piques your interest? Yeah, um, there was one from Hexter. Um, he was asking about just the offense line in general, and I think we've covered the offense line for the most part. It was just he's asking why can't the Bengals evaluate offense line in town, or do they just not value good line play at all? It, it could be both. I mean. They were going into this season. They only added a career back of a right guard, and they trusted him to start and be a good starter. And in the draft, they waited until the sixth round to add someone. So it is a part of not valuing Lyman enough because they they didn't do enough to to add talent there. But it's also the fact that because they had trust that the, the guys that they had coming back to start were going to be good enough. And right now, Bobby Hart continues to not be good enough to start anywhere in the league. And Michael Jordan still hasn't really taken that next step to be a competent starter. So I think it's 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 both. But it, it, one comes before the other, probably. And it's the fact that they had too much trust in evaluating and, and developing the talent that they already had. There's inconsistent valuing of interior offensive linemen from the Cincinnati Bengals, right? I mean, they've shown that, hey, we'll take a Kevin Zeiler at the end of a first round. Um, we'll we'll take an Eric Steinbach at the at the beginning of a second round, but we won't keep him past the rookie contract, right? I mean, it's it, it and and those type of moves really cripple your franchise. We'll go get a Bobby Williams and keep him around for a while, but hey, we think we can replace him in somewhere in the fourth round, fifth round, sixth round. And it's the Bengals have shown in certain draft classes great. For, especially for their limited scouting staff, they have shown that they have they can find great value. I, you know, you look back to that draft with George Aloka and Marvin Jones getting them on day three. It's like what those guys were great finds for the team. T.J. Hushmanzada, seventh round. I mean, we there's a lot of different examples, but the fact remains is they're inconsistent on that, and they have it's it's not to me. I don't I don't know that they 
yeah, there are examples of them not evaluating offensive line talent properly, particularly in the 2015 draft when they took a boy, he and Fisher, but I mean, they've drafted, they had the best offensive lineman that's ever played in the NFL in Anthony Munoz. They had a great offensive line with him and the offensive line that Andy Dalton had and Carson Palmer had for most of his Bengals career, those were outstanding offensive lines. They know how to draft offensive linemen. To me, John, I think the problem is more overconfidence in their own evaluation process or overconfidence in, Hey, we've got, we've got certain guys that we like, and um, we don't need to, we don't need to draft. Um, we don't need to draft a guy in the second round or third round. Maybe there's a little contradiction in what I'm saying there, but um I don't know. It just seems that they're overconfident in, in sometimes in some of these players, whereas we look at them and go, I don't, I don't get it. No, like it, that, that, that's completely true. Like you look at the linemen that they've drafted in the past five years, it goes from Cedric Boyhe to Jake Fisher to Billy Price to Kim Denergy, and then Jonah Williams is in there. He's clearly the only hit that they've had in recent years at the position. Like, remember, do you guys remember JJ Dealman? He was like cut as a fifth round pick before he even played a game and he ended up with the Broncos later. So it, it's, it's a problem of evaluating the wrong traits. And like you said, having too much confidence and taking those raw traits and turning them into tangible, competent traits that they've never had been before when they were college and high school players. So it is an overconfidence and, and almost an arrogance because confidence usually ends up with results and arrogance is just false confidence. But yeah, it, it is a mix of both. And at the end of the day, they just need to reevaluate what makes a good offensive lineman, a good offensive lineman, and then try to find where you can get that. And most part, it's early in the draft and free agency. Yeah, it's almost, you know, some of these guys, it's like they valued some of these athletic metrics and or strength over actually, can this guy play football, right? I mean, Cedric Boyhe was an athletic guy, but can he actually play football? His tape was kind of all over the place in college. Um, Dealman, I, if I remember correctly, he kind of had some good, uh, you know, RAS numbers and whatnot, but you know, could he play? I, Westerman is a guy that didn't really by most rumors, didn't have it upstairs. Um, he could play, but he just, he wasn't grasping the playbook and they couldn't trust him. So there, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, at some point you got to evaluate these guys and you got to say, okay, the athleticism and all that stuff's great in there. The strength is there, but can these guys play? Can't, what, what does their tape say? And I, sometimes it's almost like, well, we can coach that up. <laughs> they look at the tape and they see issues. Well, we can coach that up. And then they get to the pros and it's like, Oh wait, we can't. <laughs> um, any, anything else you want to get to before we hop on out of here, John, anything kind of spike in your interest? Uh, honestly, we're just at the point of the year where the questions are more and more that they just mold into like the same yeah. de 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 deprecation and depression. So um, not, not, not your guys' fault. I mean, I know a lot of you guys expected the winning season, uh, in the off season based on what they did, but we're kind of right back to where we've been for the past three or four years now. And I, I don't fault you guys, but it's just, just the way it is until they're, they're, they're bad until they're not, you know, that's how the manager of uh, big cat country, the Jacksonville Jaguars SB nation side, that's what he said before they, you know, kind of went off in 2017. Like the Jaguars are bad until they are, until they prove that they aren't. And that's, that's the same one for the Bengals. You know, they've been a bad team for four years now, and they will continue to be bad until they prove that they aren't. Yep. One quick one before we hop out of here. Mark Plava 
in the Facebook chat. Will T. Higgins have a bigger part in the offense going forward? I would say so. I think so, especially with the random benchings of Auden Tate and John Ross the past couple of weeks and with T. Higgins getting two touchdowns. Also, Higgins and Burrow worked out with Jordan Palmer out in my neck of the woods this offseason before they were drafted, so they were kind of already building a little bit of a rapport in these spring workouts. So um, I would expect especially with the lack of big plays, big passes, John, I would expect this to kind of be a, a trend going, going forward with what T Higgins showed last week against the Eagles. Right. And I think Burroughs deep ball um, lack of production in that arena has gotten some buzz on Twitter today. And part of that is just, it's, it's lack of timing and placement. And Higgins has been a part of that too. Like the two biggest plays that they missed against the Eagles, both targeted Higgins. They were both slight underthrows. So like they're, they're going to happen eventually. Burroughs too good the pastor in those situations to not get that ironed out and part of that i think was just the lack of reps that they got with these guys in the offseason because of injury and also because of everything was virtual for the most part but it, it's got to come around soon if they expect to have any progress in terms of winning but it does need to improve with, with how everything else is going on in the offense right now yep well, good stuff, John. Thank you, everyone, for all of the questions. We got to as many as we could. We tried to rapid fire this thing, and we got to as many platforms as, as we could. I think we got at least one from each one of the different areas in which you guys reached us. So thanks so much for your emails, your calls, your texts, your chats, uh, your comment thread questions, your tweets, all that stuff. Thank you so much for all of that, John. Thank you. Uh, as a reminder... John, myself, and Matt Minnick are going to be on the Cincy Jungle pregame show an hour before kickoff against the Jaguars. We're going to have some fun talking some Bengals and hanging out. And then, of course, we have special guests. The Bengals captain and his lovely wife are going to be joining us for the pregame show inside of Paul Brown Stadium. The first game, I mean, it's only one of two games so far, but the first game in which the Bengals are allowing fans inside the stadium this year obviously very very limited capacity so they're gonna get to us live from inside paul brown stadium which should be interesting so we'll be chatting with them and have some giveaways courtesy of narragansett beer so john should be fun yeah i hope those two stay safe as long as well as everyone else who deems it worthy of going to that game the six thousand of you i think that can fill up paul brown stadium so should be fun to get an inside look at what's going on down there yeah and if you're going in there give my cardboard a cut out a high five go ahead and <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and give me a high five uh thanks everybody for tuning in we'll be there for the pregame show you can join us for the postgame show shortly after the game and then we've got our monday news jump and of course john and i will be doing the wednesday show again from the Orange black insider so thank you everyone for tuning in we will see you next time and we'll get to your questions More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.